Welcome to the Lowenstein Sandler podcast series. I'm Kevin Iredell, Chief Marketing Officer at Lowenstein Sandler. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast series at lowenstein.com slash podcasts, or find us on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Audible, iHeartRadio, Spotify, SoundCloud, or YouTube. Now let's take a listen. Welcome to Don't Take No for an Answer. I'm your host, Linda Bennett, Chair of the Insurance Recovery Practice here at Lowenstein Sandler. And I'm very pleased to be joined today by my partner and co-host, Eric Jesse. Good to have you back, Eric. Good to be here as always. All right. So today we're going to talk about an issue that we've touched on in some prior episodes, and that is how to seamlessly access a tower of insurance coverage. And I want to talk about pretty important case that came down just a couple of weeks ago involving Pharmacia Corporation. And it kind of reminds me of like, it could be one of those situations where a tree falls in the forest, Eric, where people may not have paid enough attention to it. So we really want to shine a spotlight on it today because it really drives home that point too, that sometimes you really do have to sweat the small stuff when you're looking at your insurance program. So why don't you start off by just setting the table of what were the facts in Pharmacia and what did the court hold there? Yeah, so this is in this case, it was the uh, third circuit that held that a high level excess carrier, it was an eighth layer policy issued by Twin Cities, did not have to provide coverage for any coverage, defense or indemnity for you know defense costs that were incurred in a uh, class action lawsuit and a settlement that was ultimately reached. And so in this case, there was a $200 million tower of coverage. Twin Cities sat at the eighth layer above $175 million, and you have a $207 million settlement in defense costs. And so Pharmacia, they go through each layer of coverage, the primary and the first seven layers, and each carrier agrees to pay out their full limit. They get to Twin Cities, and Twin Cities says, nope, we are not paying. And what the court held and what the insurers argued is, the policy builder didn't satisfy these uber technical requirements in the policy that the underlying insurers needed to have duly admitted liability, number one, and number two, to have paid the full amount of their respective liability. And so the Third Circuit said, well, there was no dual admission of liability by the primary and first seven carriers. And so you didn't satisfy these technical requirements in the policy, and there is no coverage. So let's unpack that a little bit, because this yep. is very typical scenario where you've got a very large claim, you've got multiple layers of coverage, as you said, and we're going to talk about some of our favorite bedrock principles here on Don't Take No for an Answer, aren't we? We're going to talk about the devil being in the details of the actual policy language, We're going to talk about the importance of being strategic as you're dealing with a very large claim like this and looking around the corner and thinking like, what is the end game here, right? Because in this case, many of our clients think, well, I just have to look at the primary policy because the rest of this coverage is going to be, quote unquote, follow form, which Eric, you know, means that the excess policies largely follow the terms and conditions. But- What's one takeaway that's really important from this pharmacia case that uh, that our listeners need to know? 
Yeah, well, like the words in the excess policy certainly matter and the triggers of coverage of that excess policy certainly matter. And so I think a lot of times when you have companies that are placing these very large towers, there isn't enough or any focus on the words that are in that eighth, ninth, tenth layer um, policy. And, you know, we're seeing here, right, those words matter according to the Third Circuit. So let's Monday morning quarterback for a second. Are you saying, Eric, that if the policyholder here had gotten their tower of policies before this claim got presented and they had somebody actually reviewing the terms and conditions of that very top layer policy, that there's something the policyholder could have done before this claim ever got presented to avoid stepping into this bear trap? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and I suspect that this language might have been in the underlying policies. But when we are reviewing excess policy forms, we are very attuned to these types of issues that will trigger the excess carrier's obligation. So we want to see language that says that, first of all, that there doesn't need to be any admission of liability by the underlying carriers. That's a very, very unusual language. And then on the requirement that the underlying carriers pay the full amount of their respective liability, we want to strike that language and say that the the payment of underlying limits can come from any source, right? It can come from the insured. It can come from the underlying carriers. It can come from a third party just to give maximum flexibility to the policyholder when they need to hit that excess policy. And that devil really is in the details. And and our listeners need to understand this language is negotiable. When you go to that upper layer excess carrier, that's just the standard form that they use. And policyholders need to work carefully with their brokers as well as sophisticated coverage counsel to take a look at that and push back on that at the time the policy is being placed. Because carriers will take that out if you ask. Absolutely. And frankly, if we were in the situation where the carrier, this excess carrier pushed back and didn't want that language, I would say, let's go find another excess carrier. Exactly I right. Think, I think you can easily swap in a much more commercial carrier for $10 million at the eighth layer or get the existing carriers to each put up a, a little bit more to fill that the $10 million that was provided here. So there's plenty of options because you know, at the end of the day, right? Like the pharmacia, it, they really didn't buy any player excess protection with this type of language because the reality is it's almost an impossibility to satisfy those requirements. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I found particularly troubling about the Third Circuit's decision here because it really does violence to how courts usually approach settlement scenarios here. We can cite to many cases across the country where courts will note that they want to promote parties being reasonable and pursuing settlements. It's it's good for public policy and judicial administration and conservation of party resources. And this decision, frankly, encourages carriers not to pay. Because as you alluded to before, Getting an insurer to pay their full policy limit in a settlement agreement is an absolutely terrific outcome, but any seasoned coverage lawyer knows you're not going to get that insurer to admit in the settlement document that they had to pay that claim. They're simply not going to give you that admission of liability. 
And so one of the big takeaways of this pharmacia decision is it's really telling both policyholders and insurers, you're going to have to fight to the death. You're going to have to litigate this all the way to the ends of the earth if you want to preserve that ability to get that top layer excess coverage. And so that's something that probably wasn't top of mind, the Third Circuit, when this decision came down. So if you were to find yourself in this situation, what kind of arguments would you be making to the Third Circuit or other circuits or perhaps the U.S. Supreme Court to undo (laughs) this very unhelpful outcome and as a practical matter to getting claims paid? Yeah, well, two arguments come to mind, and I, I don't know that these were argued before the Third Circuit, but the Third Circuit characterized this language as, quote, conditioned precedent language. And I didn't see that language, condition precedent, actually quoted in terms of the policy, but that's how the Third Circuit characterized it. But there's a certainly case law in New Jersey in other contexts where the New Jersey Supreme Court, for example, has held that, well, we won't necessarily apply a condition precedent unless and until the insurer can show that they've been appreciably prejudiced. So late notice, for example, under the current policy is, is one area. So I think that's that's one key argument that I think uh, weighs in favor of a different outcome here. And then I also like the argument based on another New Jersey Supreme Court case, which is the reasonable expectations doctrine that mm-hmm. says, frankly, essentially, sometimes the words on the page can be clear, but they are so contrary to the reasonable expectations of the insured that we're just not going to enforce those words of that Borges case. And that's what I would also say, because I bet if you look at the premiums between the seventh layer excess mm-hmm. policy and what was paid to Twin Cities for the eighth layer, I bet they're very similar. And I think that when you have eight other insurance carriers, the primary and the seven excess carriers paying their full policy limits, there's a reasonable expectation that a, a follow form eighth layer insurer should fall into line. So I think that that's an argument I would I would be pressing. Well said. Well, I'm glad that we took a couple of minutes here to shed some light on this very important decision. As we talked about, I think the biggest takeaway from it is the importance of not going through renewals where you're not looking at the terms and conditions of your policies. As we said, this could have been avoided in the first instance by getting this language out of the policy, either that this excess carrier agreeing to take it out, or as you said before, Eric, shopping in the market to find a policy form that does not require this admission of liability. But another headline certainly of this decision is when you have a tower of coverage implicated and you start going down the road of settling with particular carriers or You start to divide and conquer and settle with small groups of carriers. You really do need to make sure that you're looking all the way up your coverage chart to make sure that when you enter into that settlement at the lower layers, everything has been properly preserved so you can continue to seamlessly come on up that tower. And last but certainly not least, we'll have to hope that there'll be another fact pattern for the Third Circuit to revisit this decision and understand the public policy implications that come from requiring admissions of liability, even in the context of a settlement before coverage can be accessed under upper layer carriers. So 
great discussion, quick hit, but a really important decision and some important lessons that come out of it. So thanks for sharing your knowledge today and we'll uh, see everybody next time. Absolutely. Good talk. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe to our podcast series at lowenstein.com slash podcasts or find us on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Audible, iHeartRadio, Spotify, SoundCloud, or YouTube. Lowenstein Sandler podcast series is presented by Lowenstein Sandler and cannot be copied or rebroadcast without consent. The information provided is intended for a general audience and is not legal advice or a substitute for the advice of counsel. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Content reflects the personal views and opinions of the participants. No attorney-client relationship is being created by this podcast and all rights are reserved.